Well, I'm wrapping up our series on justice in the kingdom of God today. We've been in this series for a number of weeks, wrapping it up today. And I've been recommending books as we go along because some people want to dig into this topic a bit more. The book recommendation for you today is one I highly recommend. It's called Welcoming the Stranger, Justice, Compassion, and Truth in the Immigration Debate. Today, we are talking about God's heart for the stranger, the the foreigner, or your translation may say the immigrant, depending on what translation you read. And this book does a wonderful job of explaining the scriptures and God's heart for the stranger among us, but then also applying it to our modern day world, which is very complex and challenging. And so if you're passionate about this topic, or even if you just have questions and you don't know how to navigate the scriptures, let me highly, highly recommend this book to you. And Natalie and I, we've always known that God cares for the stranger among us. If you read from Genesis to Revelation, you can see God's heart all through the pages. But we've always wanted to live out the Bible, not just talk about the Bible. We don't want to just agree with the Bible. We want to practice what we preach. We want to live this out. And so when we first moved to Fort Collins, Natalie and I decided to join a group that's sponsored by CSU called the International Friends Group. It's basically a a CSU-sponsored group where you can become friends with international students, students who have traveled the world to come and study at CSU. You have to fill out a short application and submit that to the powers at B, and and they check, kind of make sure if you're a weirdo or not, and if you can, you know, be linked up, you'll all be happy to know we passed that test, so they did allow us, like, this is a good thing, right? But um, then they pair you up with one or maybe a handful of students, And the whole purpose is for you to build a relationship with them to help create a sense of belonging because they've left everything they've known and they've come to study here among us. So Natalie and I, we were paired with a wonderful couple, newlyweds from India, who were doing PhD work at CSU. And I mean, they were brilliant. But they were having a really hard time because they moved to CSU and shortly after they moved here, COVID hit. So imagine, right, imagine how brutal that is. You already have an incredible language barrier. The food is different. The sights, sounds, and smells, everything is different. You don't know how to navigate your way around town. You're taking PhD work, which is probably very taxing in and of itself. And then, bam, one or two months into their time here, COVID hit. And we were called to quarantine and to isolate. And basically, like, they were trying to meet people, and now they had no avenue for future relationships, less people out, less friendships to build. So Natalie and I just felt like it was our calling to begin to just start the ministry of relationship building, the ministry of just being a friend. And so we Zoomed for a while until they were comfortable coming to our house during COVID. Then we invited them over and we helped drive them around town. Our kids got to know them and spend time with them. And this was a growing and solid friendship that was beginning to happen. And of course, right, because of the people that Natalie and I are, we, we wanted to share our faith with them. 
We wanted to share with them the most important things in our lives. And why not, right? Like this is part of who we are. The Christ is at the center of our hearts. And we want to share that. And the application, I will let you know, the application at CSU, it clearly states that you're not allowed to proselytize the students or push your political or religious ideas on these international students. But I felt very comfortable because we weren't pushing anything. We were just living authentically. We were just naturally being who we are. We never pushed anything. And eventually, if you think about it, it'd be quite inauthentic if we never brought Jesus up. Because he's the most important thing that's ever happened to me. He's the most important thing that's ever happened to our family. And so if we're living authentic lives, eventually Jesus is going to come up. And we're going to talk to them about our church and invite them on a journey. And we talked about everything by that. I mean, we talked about baseball, and he taught me about cricket. That's one of their sports that I had a lot to learn when it, when it came to cricket. We talked about food, and we talked about being newlyweds. We talked about Fort Collins and how to get plugged in. Because if you only talk about Jesus, it gets equally as weird as if you never talk about Jesus. And so you just talk about normal life, and you live authentically with the people around you. See, the thing about this is that everybody that you encounter needs to experience the gospel. Everyone you encounter needs to experience the gospel, that we all need to experience more of God's presence. We need his forgiveness and his love. We are seeking his purposes over our lives. And then if you take just the natural reality of how everybody needs the gospel and you pair that with how the scriptures talk about loving the foreigner or the stranger or the immigrant among us, it becomes pretty clear what God's heart is for this demographic it becomes pretty clear what we're called to be about. All throughout Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, caring for the foreigner or the immigrant among us is almost always presented as an act of justice. Almost always presented as an act of justice. And it's interesting because God almost always brings up three categories of people when he talks about this. It's almost always three types of people strung together in one phrase. You're going to hear it a few times today, but it's this phrase, foreigners, widows, and orphans. These are the three categories that God almost always lumps together when he's talking about acts of justice. I want to show you an example from Psalm 146, verse 9. It says, the Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and the widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. That's Psalms, Psalm 146, verse 9. And there you see that, that phrase, the beginning of that phrase, foreigners, widows, and orphans. This is a repeated phrase throughout the Old Testament time and time again. Another example, a great one is from Jeremiah 22, verse 3. This is what the Lord says Be fair minded and just. Do not mistreat foreigners, orphans, or widows. They're, they're lumped together again. And notice, as you listen to those scriptures, notice what's not said. This is going to get a little uncomfortable for some of you, so I'm just giving you a heads up right before I say it. But notice that the Bible doesn't add any qualifiers to that list. Did you notice that? It doesn't say care for them so long as they're here legally. It, it doesn't say care for them so long as they follow your cultural norms and rules. And it doesn't say care for them so long as they learn your language. It just says care for them. It says love them, welcome them, show them hospitality. 
And by the way, you can tell that this has gotten a little politicized because the other two people groups in that list never get qualifiers. We never qualify caring for widows and orphans. But when it comes to foreigners, we're going to throw qualifiers, right? Like this is what's happened in our culture. So I'm just trying to create this picture for you because it should make us pause a little bit and begin to ask some questions about why, why it's happening that way. And if you like to argue, right, like if you, if you enjoy arguing, we would probably get along. I like to argue a lot too, so like we should hang out and we should argue with each other because that's like a love language for me. Okay, if you like to argue, like I'm just going to give you some information on the front end just so you know, just so that you have the, the information that you want, right? I am aware that Romans 12 talks about needing to follow the law set before us. I am aware of that passage. And I am also aware that we live in, a, in the 21st century where we have incredibly complicated systems and problems surrounding immigration reform and visa statuses and all sorts of other things. And I'm also aware that in Bible times, they had less boundary disputes than we do now, less sovereign lines where, that delineated between nation and nation. I realize that. But also, like they were nomadic shepherds. So they just went around and they had disputes too. Like it was complicated then and it's complicated today. But guess what? Here at the video, like just because something's complicated doesn't mean we ignore the passages. Just because something's complicated doesn't mean that we we turn scriptures null and void and we just move along to whatever is next, right? We dig into some of this and we talk about it. And I think, I mean, my guess is that I have a pretty good read on what's happening in the room right now. Some of us are really smiling and we're really happy because you're passionate about this. And you were hoping that in a series on kingdom justice that we would talk about welcoming the stranger and caring, the, caring for the foreigner among us. And then others of us, we have either a little bit or a lot of anxiety rising up in our hearts right now. And that anxiety, if we're not careful, it could actually close our ears to hear the Bible. So we want to we wanna protect our hearts so that we can hear from the Lord But I just, I want to give you a commitment this morning. I want to commit to you that I am not going to go political from the pulpit. I give you that commitment. Just because we're talking about immigration doesn't mean it's turning political. We're going to stay very biblical today. I'll leave the politics to the politicians. And if you're really passionate about immigration reform, then may God bless you because I think we would all realize that we need help. We need wisdom from God in our nation, right? This is a true thing. But I give my commitment to you that I won't get political. And if you feel like I stray from the scriptures, you can email me. And we can argue. Like, because remember, that's fun. (laughs) We can go back and forth a little bit. But And honestly, like, I would really want you to do that if you feel like I stray from the scriptures. My job, though, is to teach you what the Bible says about these sorts of things. And so that's what we're going to do today. Because here, I mean, really, here's the thing. As followers of Christ, we don't get to decide who deserves discipleship or not. As followers of Christ, we don't get to make that decision. We don't decide who's worthy or unworthy of hearing the gospel. That's just not our role. Our role is to plant seeds and to scatter seeds and to share the gospel. That is what our job as disciples is to do. I want to show you another passage, this this time from the New Testament, in case you thought all of this stuff was in the Old Testament, okay? 
We're going to be in Acts 6. You can flip to Acts 6 if you want to or remember that and read it on your own later this week. But in Acts 6, we're introduced to a little bit of a problem that the early church was experiencing. And it's a beautiful passage for us this morning. It's a great case study for kingdom justice. I want to give you a little context before we jump in. In Acts 6, you have to realize that the early church was expanding rapidly. I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were coming to the Lord. And the timeline from Acts 1 to Acts 6, it's, it's rather quick, right? Jesus' death and resurrection, after that Pentecost happened, that's when the Holy Spirit fell on believers, empowered them so they could begin praying for the sick and seeing healings. Radical generosity came over the church. People were selling their entire estate so that the early church could grow and expand. People were preaching with boldness. And it says that thousands were giving their lives to the Lord. And one of the beautiful things is that the gospel reached everyone. It reached everyone. We're talking different languages, different countries, different cultures, and different backgrounds of faith. The Christian faith was unifying people from all parts of the world. And before Christ, these different people groups never spent time together. But this also created some problems. And in Acts 6, you're introduced to one of those problems. Let's read Acts 6, verses 1 through 7 together. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers... And they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and so they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus. Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Now listen, the first time that I heard that passage preached, it was all about leadership delegation. It was all about leadership delegation. Empowering the leaders around you so that you can stick with your calling. And the apostles knew their calling. They knew that they needed to pray and study and preach God's word. And the church was growing so fast that they simply couldn't do everything. And so they found people with God's spirit and wisdom. They laid their hands on them. They prayed for them. And then they released them for significant ministry. And this is a good reading of that text. It is a good reading of that text. It might remind you, if you're an Old Testament reader, of Moses and Jethro, right? This is leadership delegation, and it's 100% a picture of what has to happen in churches all across the world. When everything relies on a pastor, it's a really unhealthy thing. Our faith has to be centered on Jesus, not on a pastor, and besides, it, it takes a team. And think about what Terry's talking about with VBS. Our goal is that 100 children would participate in VBS. That can't rely on Terry. It will be impossible. 
It takes a team of volunteers. It takes a church and the body of Christ coming together to see the kingdom advanced. Acts 6 is absolutely a wonderful text about leadership and delegation. It's primarily how it was taught to me in my theology classes, and it's primarily how I still hear it taught today. But that's not the only thing this passage is about. It's also a passage about the justice of God. Acts 6 is a kingdom justice passage. It's about caring for the stranger among you, about caring for people who look different than you, and maybe even caring for people who sound different than you. Look at verse 1 again. This is how the passage opens. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now remember, the church is going rapidly, right? It's, it's growing by multiplication, it says in verse 1, not addition. And if you've gone through any kind of math, you know that multiplication adds up a lot quicker than just simple addition, right? They're, they're growing and expanding in crazy numbers. And in the midst of that growth, people were being missed. It even says that they were being discriminated against discrimination in the early church. Can you imagine? We never think about it that way. But that's what it says in Acts 6. And in fact, in Acts 6 verse 1, the only reason it says that people were being discriminated against is because they were from a different culture. It's the only reason that you have in the Bible. You had the Greeks on one side, and you had the Hebrews on the other side. Both were believers, but they had different backgrounds. They spoke different languages. And in first century AD and even before that, if you spoke a different language, you even went to a different synagogue. There was a Greek synagogue and there was a Hebrew synagogue. They never worshiped together. See, before Christ, every part of their life was separated. But now, because of their newfound faith in Jesus Christ, they were called to be unified together. But they hadn't quite figured out how to do that yet without missing some people, even hurting some people. The early church, you know, sometimes we think about the early church with like thoughts of grandeur, that they had everything figured out. They didn't have everything figured out. They had to learn some stuff. They had to learn some big stuff, right? And at some point, someone with the heart of justice and the calling of justice, they have to stand up and they have to begin asking justice type of questions. And a great justice type of question is, why is this happening and what can I do about it? Justice will often ask that question. Why is this happening and what can I do about it? Craig Keener, who's a theologian from Asbury Seminary, who, you know, they just experienced an amazing outpouring of God's spirit earlier this year at Asbury. Craig Keener explains this text beautifully. He writes that the early church had made a mistake, but their solution was radical. And in an act of kingdom justice, they got close to the problem because when you're dealing with real acts of justice, proximity is incredibly important. So they got close to the problem. They realized that this is an actual problem that needs to be solved. And then they came up with a radical solution that, that had not been seen in the church world prior to this moment. Craig Keener says they did something that was unheard of. They put the minority group in charge. They put the foreigners, the immigrants, the strangers, and the people who spoke a different language in charge of the food program. 
The people who got put in charge, they all have Greek names. If you look at that list and if you study that list of names, they're all Greek names. They're from the Greek-speaking camp. And back in the day, names meant something. It meant where you came from, what your family line was, was like, and, and where you came from, and how you were being assimilated into the culture. They told a story. See, names told a story in the Bible. The very people who were being discriminated against in verse 1, by verse 5, they were being empowered to lead this ministry of mercy. Now, obviously, they didn't pick random people. Right? It says in verse 3 that these men were filled with God's Spirit, that they had wisdom. They, they weren't unqualified in any which way. Right? They even had a wonderful testimony already growing inside of the church. But isn't it interesting, Craig said, that the very people who were being discriminated against were the ones who received the authority to make a difference? This is a wonderful, wonderful picture of unity and love and justice in the kingdom of God. It's still a story of leadership, by the way, and it can be taught that way. All I'm trying to do is I'm trying to round this out for us as a church so that we, we don't say it's only a leadership passage, but we can also grasp the fact that it's a justice passage. And then I love verse 7. Well, we got to read verse 7 one more time. Look at verse 7 with me one more time. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted to. I mean, don't you want that? Well, that's what I want. I, I want thousands more to come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I want thousands more to be forgiven and adopted into the family of God. I want thousands more to be empowered and released to do the acts of Christ all around our area. Because I know I've experienced it myself, and our entire family has experienced it. The saving grace of Jesus Christ changes things. It changes you as an individual, but it changes a whole family system. It changes a whole neighborhood, or, or a school, or a city, or a region. It changes the whole world. When people surrender to the unconditional love of Jesus Christ and they're filled with his spirit to go do the works of justice in this world, it changes things. And verse 7 is what I want to be about. So God's message continued to spread and many more came to know the gospel. Like the early church, we're not perfect here at the vineyard, but we are making progress. We're not perfect, but we are making progress. We're not growing by multiplication right now, but if you've been here for any length of time, you can probably sense that we're growing by addition right now, which is God's grace to us, by the way, so that we can grow together as we grow together. But we are growing, and in order to continue to pastor and shepherd and reach the people that God's invited us to do, we're going to need more folks involved. Of course we are. We're going to have to take passages like this and apply them to our church in terms of the leadership principles found in Acts 6, but we also need to read it like a justice passage so that we don't begin missing people. So we, don't, so we make sure that we see the people maybe that others miss sometimes. And we also need to empower folks to take on 
more responsibility. There's a variety of ways that you can get plugged in the game right now at our church when it comes to acts of justice. I'm going to share three quick ones with you, but I want to remind you at votrweekly.org, you can find all this information. And I even put links to everything I'm about to share in my sermon notes, so it's super easy to click and sign up. The first thing I want to talk about is every tribe, every nation. Every tribe, every nation is a celebration of diversity, and we want to welcome a multi-ethnic expression of our faith. And I'm just going to be honest with you, we didn't come up with the name, we stole it from the Bible. That's where the best ideas come from. In Revelation 7, we get a picture of heaven that every tribe and every nation is worshiping Jesus together. And at the Vineyard, we talk an awful lot about wanting to experience as much of heaven on earth as we possibly can. So if you are interested in that, I would encourage you to sign up for every tribe every nation. Second, you can volunteer at Christ Clinic. Christ Clinic is one of the best ways that you can interact with, serve, care, and show justice to the folks in need from our area. A large percentage of the people that you might meet at Christ Clinic could be from a different nation. It could speak a different language. They could have grown up with a different faith background, and they need medical care. They're always in need of more medical providers, but they also need volunteers who speak Spanish or who can pray and greet and, and uh, do basic admin tasks and help with setup and tear down and hospitality. And they meet in our church on Saturdays. You can sign up for Christ Clinic. And finally, as I mentioned earlier, you can sign up to be part of CSU's International Friends Group. I put the link in my sermon notes. And again, just a reminder, right? So we're all on the same page. And if you're watching online, I want you to hear this from me directly. There's going to be a field in your form that says, why are you doing this? Don't put in there, my pastor said we could share our faith and change the world. (laughs) That's not going to go well for either of us, okay? The desire is to love people so well that you earn the right to share your faith. The desire is to demonstrate incredible hospitality to people who maybe don't have a lot of friends in Fort Collins yet, to open your home, to welcome them in, and to earn the right to share your faith. If you love well and if you live authentically, Jesus will naturally come up. And one of the best ways that you can love the stranger among us is to sign up for something like that. I mentioned earlier excuse me, that Natalie and I have done this, and it was great. It was great for us. It was great for our family. But I want to close by telling you a story of someone inside of our church who also participated in a program like this years ago. But they didn't participate as a host. They participated as a student. I asked if I could share his story with detail, and I asked if I could share his name. I didn't say that I was going to point him out but I know he's here. He's right there. His name is Julio Garcia. (laughs) Julio is a longtime member of our church. He was born in Ecuador. And after high school, he left everything that he knew and he moved to the United States to study engineering at the University of Valparaiso. If you know anything about Valparaiso, it's kind of top-notch engineering school. Guy's pretty smart. He's pretty bright. But again, he left everything, and he moved to a small town in Indiana to study physics and mathematics and figure out how to be an engineer. And if you didn't already know, let me give you a little clue. Indiana and Ecuador? Not a lot of cross-pollination there. 
There's, there's, I like laughed out loud when Julio told me that his introduction to the winter months was when a blizzard came off of Lake Michigan and dumped two feet of snow on him right before finals. Like he had said, like, I had read about winter. I, like, know about winter, but then I knew about winter, right? But think about this. Everything was different, and everything was hard. I mean, one of, his, one of his first memories is someone chucked a rock through his window, breaking it, which is, like, a horrible way to be greeted into the United States, and not only that, so now you're fighting, like, am I, am I really welcomed here or not? But then you're fighting the fact that, that you're studying in a language that's not your first language. The food is different. The transportation is different. The community, the friend groups. In Julio's own words, this was the loneliest time of his life. And then during Christmas break, Julio's mom met a family who was visiting from Valparaiso to Ecuador. See, when God is moving, the odds are always in your favor. Julio ended up getting connected with this Christian family. And when he returned to Valparaiso, they invited him into their home. They started sharing meals together and sharing life together. And they created for Julio a home away from home. And it started with dinner. It didn't start with preaching. It didn't start with, okay, we need to lay our hands on you, Julio, and pray for you to receive the Holy Ghost. That probably wouldn't work very well. It didn't work for me when I was 18. They fed him. They helped him get around town. They taught him how to get a driver's license. They took him to the grocery store, and they did all kinds of practical things. They loved him in real practical ways. They built a strong foundational relationship, and that relationship eventually led to a church invite. And that church invite eventually led to more conversations about Jesus. And in the spring semester, April of 1982, Julio gave his life to Christ, and he's been a follower of Jesus ever since. And the ripple effect of that Indiana family connected with this Ecuadorian man has been huge. You're talking about family systems that have been impacted. You're talking about friend groups and neighborhoods, children and grandchildren. He's now at our church uh, an active member. He's probably prayed for you on the prayer teams. He's prayed for me because he's on my board. He keeps me in check. And this man has been a faithful follower of Christ. And years ago, God began to work in his heart. And simultaneously, God was working in the hearts of these folks from Indiana. And he, and he pushed them two together. And the rest is a kingdom story. It's a kingdom story that has impacted hundreds, if not thousands of people. I mean, imagine, imagine if we as a church embrace the calling of God to love the stranger, foreigner, and immigrant among us. Imagine what could happen if, if, if we read Acts 6, not just as a leadership passage, but also as a justice passage. Imagine what would happen if leadership and justice merged together and we began to see the kingdom of God expand in incredibly new and powerful Ways. Imagine if dozens of us began to see the world around us through the eyes of Christ, loving those that maybe we're not used to being around as much.
the impact would be unmistakable. The kingdom of God would expand in this region and people would carry the gospel with them wherever they went. When Julio didn't land in Indiana, he's here in northern Colorado. And everywhere he's gone, the kingdom has been a part of his life from that point forward. If we committed to this as a church, and I imagine God speaking to some of you right now individually, if we committed to this, we would be joining God's mission, transforming all things one person at a time. One person after one person after one person.